Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 456. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Read our stories at slowflowersjournal.com. Our first sponsor thanks goes to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. The simple goal of keeping flowers in customers' hands is one I've been hearing continually over the past three months. Distilled to its simplest form, this seems to be what we all want to make happen as the floral season progresses from late winter to early spring, from late spring to early summer. We are drawn into the beautiful web of nature where we allow flowers and plants to speak for us when our hearts are heavy and there is a loss for adequate words. At the London Plain, when the sudden reality of the coronavirus faced co-owner Katherine Anderson and her partners, as well as flower shop manager Jenny Nelson, it meant finding ways to juggle myriad moving parts, from a restaurant and a bakery to a grocery operation to a design studio. I'm a big fan of both of these women and their truly seasonal aesthetic. Their shop is in the heart of an inviting European-style cafe in Seattle's historic Pioneer Square neighborhood, and it is one to which any flower person visiting the Emerald City wants to make a pilgrimage. Meals here are simple and delicious, prepared with the same care that the floral design team creates an arrangement. Homage and respect is paid to each ingredient, from a salad composed of just-picked greens and herbs to the hand-gathered flowers one takes home. I asked Catherine and Jenny if I could actually meet them in person at the London Plain to discuss how they are managing during the coronavirus pandemic. This was my first opportunity to record a podcast interview in person since March 15th. The three of us sat in different corners of the baker's room at the London Plain, socially distanced, of course. The digital recorder perched on a stool in the center of our little triangle as we captured a wonderful conversation to share with you. You may recall that Katherine Anderson first appeared as a guest on this podcast way back in March of 2014 in one of our earliest episodes titled Marigold and Mints, Katherine Anderson, a leading eco-floral entrepreneur. I'll share a link for you to listen again and learn more about her history and background. I also featured the London Plain Flower Shop in a Q&A with flower manager Jenny Nelson that appeared in the February 2019 issue of Florist Review, including the beautiful cover photo. So I'll add a link for you to read that story too. This is how the London Plains Instagram feed recently introduced Katherine Anderson. A co-owner and a founder of the London Plain, Catherine has always loved flowers and nature. She's a trained landscape architect and owns an organic farm in the Snoqualmie River Valley, and she's an incredibly talented person, florist and business owner. We want to show our gratitude to this powerful force and wearer of so many hats. She greatly contributes to the Seattle community, is active in philanthropy and supporting the arts, and is constantly creating connections between people. She helped us create the relationship with the University of Washington Medical Centers so we could donate 13,000-plus meals. On top of that, Catherine is a mother and a wife, and she's really cool, and she is an integral part of the London Plain. This is how the London Plains Instagram feed recently introduced Jenny Nelson. 
Jenny has worked at the London Plain for six years, leading our floral team for the past three years. She never ceases to amaze us with her artistry in a vase, crown, or installation, from roses to peonies to geum to bolting radicchio. We're lucky to have her as part of our team, even more so in this difficult time for the world and our community. She loves all flowers and things vintage and French, but she, and most of the florists we know in Seattle, to be honest, has a real soft spot for spring and the dozens of rich, colorful, tender blooms that show up in the Pacific Northwest in April and May. Maybe it's due to the love of these blooms that she was going to be married this spring to her sweet Canadian fiancé, Tim. Jenny and Tim have had to put their wedding on hold due to closed borders between the U.S. and Canada for months. She'll share a bit of that story with us today as well. Here's more about the London Plain. The London Plain is a shop, cafe, bakery, wine shop, and bar and event space. A collaboration between the teams of Marigold and Mint, the Corson Building, Bar Sajor, and Old Chaser Farm, the London Plain occupies two corners of Pioneer Square's Occidental Mall. The larger space is home to a cafe, bakery, flower counter, grocery, and larger shop. This is where locals and visitors stop by for something to eat or drink or to shop the grocery and larder for ingredients to prepare a meal at home. The smaller space, called the Little London Plain, is a wine shop, wine bar, and event space. That's where you can grab a glass of wine, savor a simple selection of bar foods, or shop for wines to take away. It's also where many events take place. Right now, the London Plains online store offers special arrangements of flowers for pickup or Seattle area delivery. There's also a lovely selection of popular retail and gift goods that customers anywhere can order. The flower shop currently offers floral delivery on a one day a week basis every Friday in compliance with safety measures concerning COVID-19. Customers can also order flower arrangements for curbside pickup as well as single variety bunches with both options available for Wednesday through Saturday pickup. The occasional virtual floral class is also offered and customers are encouraged to support the London Plain Flower Shop by purchasing a floral class gift certificate. In addition, the London Plain Flower Shop continues to design wedding and event florals from an elopement bridal bouquet to a grand installation to a small memorial. Just recently, the London Plain reopened for in-store shopping for essentials Wednesday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Advanced online orders for pickup are available and Friday delivery, larder shares, and flowers continue. Well, let's jump right in and meet Catherine and Jenny. And of course, you can see photos of this unique emporium for food and flowers and the designs created at the London Plain Flower Shop in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com for episode 456. I'll also share all the social places where you can continue to follow Catherine and Jenny and their flowers. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. I'm coming to you with real people in the room today. This is so exciting. I'm so happy to be with you, Katherine Anderson and Jenny Nelson of the London Plain in Seattle. Thanks for saying I could come socially distance interview you. Of course. It's a pleasure to see you in person, Deborah. (laughs) It's great. And I was just telling Katherine and Jenny that this this, uh, is the very first in-person interview I've been able to do since March 15th. And, you know, Skype and Zoom are kind of annoying and mm-hmm. but it you know we do what we can um the london plane is uh, i obviously i get your newsletters your soul flowers members i see what you're doing on social media and um all that hand-wringing that happened right when covid hit seattle which was earlier than maybe in other cities um it was scary i thought restaurants were going to close and you're associated with the restaurants mm-hmm. so uh, before we get into that, maybe I'll just ask you, Catherine, if you can uh, give us a snapshot of what the London Plain is as a business sure. um, and you know how it evolved. Sure. Um, Deborah, I think we spoke before the London, we did a podcast interview before the London Plain existed back when I just had a small flower shop called Marigold and Mint up on Capitol Hill yep. in Seattle, and I had a, a, a farm called Marigold and Mint as well. And that farm still exists, but the little flower shop that could, Marigold and Mint, is no longer. Um, But it was during the time of that shop that I became business partners with a chef who had a restaurant across from my shop. Mm -hmm. And his name's Matt Dillon. Together we decided to open a space in an old neighborhood in Seattle called Pioneer Square. 
And our concept was not that they were two businesses under one roof, but that it was a truly blended space where you have, and, and this is what it's been until the curtain of COVID fell, but the business is a full service um, daytime cafe and restaurant with a very active bakery program. So we produce a lot of pastries, coffee to go, delicious breakfast, delicious lunch, special event di dinners. And then alongside that, there is a full service floral program operating. So it's a department within the business. Sometimes we call it the London Plain Flower Shop, but mm -hmm. it's all the financials are combined. It's, it's one business and it's confusing sometimes to customers who we are, what exactly we are, because it's this hybrid business. But I think a lot of people have seen more of these turn up. There were models in Europe that we were referencing and using as models when we were opening, but I think more and more people are familiar with, um, is it Miller's Guild in New York City, mm -hmm. which has Emily Thompson mm -hmm. has a little boutique flower program within a space that is also a restaurant and a home, 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 home goods. And, right. you know, her, just as her branches and beautiful arrangements spread out through the floor of the store and the restaurant, so too at the London Plain are we constantly filling the space with um, primarily local, locally grown and foraged product that inspires us. So it's a very blended model. It's really interesting to hear you talk about being partners with the, the chef. And, and mm -hmm. I don't think I even understood that. You were involved in every decision as an owner of the London Plain. And it's you're not yes. just the little uh, tail that, that's over here doing the, the But flowers. not at all. It's a, it was originally a 50-50 partnership. Yeah. We brought in um, another partner along the way. And in truth, the chef is really taking a back seat as he's done other things in his life. And so... It's really the, um, you know, I make a, most, a lot of the big decisions, mm -hmm. and it's, it's fully integrated. Um, the London Plain is um, the name of a tree that inspired mm -hmm. the business. Can you talk about, like, where you're, you mentioned an old Seattle neighborhood. Talk about what, sure. why that well, influenced you. You know, I'm actually, I'm trained as a landscape architect. Um, so I have a, a master's in landscape architecture and... To that end, I'm always looking at design on that scale in cities and in the landscape and spaces and, and spaces and yeah. public outdoor public spaces. And it's hard to miss the LA of London plane trees in front that runs in front of the London plane. Mm -hmm. What's the botanical name of that? Is it sycamore? It's or? a sycamore maple. So okay. what is that? Um, ace, uh, Something plantainous. Yeah, right? we'll plantainous. Maybe I should know off the top of my head. No. Um, but these are trees that we, I personally feel like I see more in Europe than in U.S. cities. Absolutely. Right. It's, it is historically a um, street tree that was used uh, on a large scale in European cities because it has year-round interest. It provides a dappled shade in the spring and summer. Um, the color isn't spectacular in the leaves, but there's some color change. Mm -hmm. And then... The, bar, the trunk is really interesting, and yeah, it, it was recognized in Europe as a, a, a really useful street tree. And then in Seattle, I don't know if it was the 60s or 70s, there was a group of progressive thinkers, one of them being Ibsen Nelson, who happens to be the architect who designed my house, hmm. who um, and Ilsa Jones from Jones & Jones Landscape Architecture, in, which is in Pioneer Square, who had the vision to plant these trees in the city of Seattle, in this old neighborhood. I also happened to have four um, at my house. So Did you plant those when you moved in? No. They oh, were, wow. They're 60 years old. Wow. Yeah. Because your logo is even um, a, a sprig of the of the branch with the foliage, right? Yeah, and that was designed by an artist named Izzy Klingles, hmm. who was a um, shop girl in Marigold and Mitch. <laughs> I remember but she's her. In, she's first and foremost a Fantastic artist. Yes. Originally from London, but she's wow. done a lot of design for us. Mm -hmm. And she's a great florist. Mm -hmm. I love how art and architecture and horticulture and floriculture and food all come together for you, Catherine. Mm -hmm. It's like really uh, how you, the flower shop that you couldn't find anywhere else that you were able to create. And I feel mm -hmm. like Marigold and Mint was also really so special in that way. 
And I think Matt and my business partner um, and I recognized early on that we were doing the same thing um, in terms of our approach to what was in the world around us in the Northwest. He just was doing it with food and I was doing it with flowers. But as you know, I've always grown lots of herbs, mint, marigold and mint. Um, and I'm always interested in that sort of blurred line between what is food, what is a flower, what's decorative. There's no... It's all part of a continuum. Right. It's not... You have restaurants, you have flower shops. There's... It's integrated. It's integrated. I love that. When did this store open, the main, the London Plain store? So like four years ago? It was March of 2014. Oh, wow. Okay. So you had a bit of an overlap running the two shops. Yeah. And, but this brand really demanded so much of your attention. You kind of just wrapped the best of Marigold Mint into this. Yes. And Jenny, um, came knocking at our door before the doors were even open down here Mm -hmm. and to Marigold Mint. Yeah. Okay. Did you work at Marigold Mint, Jenny? I filled in here and there, Mm -hmm. but not until after you were hired here. Right. But it was through uh, Marigold Mint that I found out about Catherine and was attracted to the more loose garden-like design that she was doing compared to a lot of other floral shops in town. And Jenny has, as I've had to um, do more running of the whole business and um, keeping the train on the rails, Jenny has really assumed the role of running the whole floral program. I mean, I dip in here and there, but Jenny really makes that floral program mm. run and sets the tone for the design and the type of product we buy and the relationships with a lot of the growers um, and just making sure we're sending out the door and treating our customers in the way that we think of hospitality and flowers. Well, let's talk about this, Jenny. So Jenny Nelson, when I met you, mm-hmm. back when the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market had just started, so maybe 2011 or 12 or 13, mm-hmm. um, you had a business, a, your own art and floral studio called Magnaflora, right? Yeah. So <laughs> how did your journey uh, bring you, maybe, because your, under, your undergraduate training is in fine art. Yeah, I studied fine art at George Fox University down in Newburgh, Oregon. Um, with a focus on watercolor. Um, and then after graduating, I worked at a cafe for a year and then I moved to France and that's where I got back into doing a lot more art. Mm. And then when I came home from France, four years later, I got into photography, mostly weddings that's and, right. and yeah. portraits and things like that. Um, Is it through weddings that you kind of saw flowers as an art form? Uh, not not. Yeah, you would think so, but I think it was, I was working, as many artists do, I was working at a serving job on the weekends at the Inn at Langley on Whidbey Island, Mm. and um, this woman there named Lynn would bring in weekly flowers for the dining at the chef's table, and they were always just these most, these beautiful, organic, really fragrant um, arrangements that were much more inspiring than anything I had ever seen before, and so I think that was my first Exposure. I've always loved flowers, um, just in the garden, out and about, of course. Um, but I think that was my first, the first, where the seed was planted to that this could be a career. And I remember talking to her about it. She's like, "Oh no, don't go, don't get into flowers, whatever you do." Um, <laughs> Why do you think that is? Like she was burned out. She's a bit burnt out. But, okay. Yeah. And the financial. <laughs> yeah. Side. It's not the most. It's not exactly lucrative. Absolutely. My husband says I'm in the nonprofit arm of the family. I mean, yeah. being a freelance writer and being in right. flowers can often be very similar. So, yeah. right. And you know that. You've very done that too. Yeah. But fulfilling in other ways, of course. So um, then you you had your own studio uh, in Seattle for a, a period of time. That was, I think that was just beginning as I was going out searching for um, a job at a flower shop. Because mm. I figured that would be my way in. And when no one seemed to be hiring, um, I went and did a, a, the Floral Design Institute's month-long certification program. In Portland. In Portland, mm-hmm. yeah. So I went and lived there uh, with some family friends for a month and then came back, updated my resume, and went to every flower shop again. 
And by Not, the time I paid attention, I, I, I subsequently learned that Jenny, I don't know if you failed the flower arranging test at some shop, but you had some pretty grueling Ugh. experiences. Uh, we won't name names. No. But was it um, the type of flower arranging that is like yeah, 180 no. degree opposite of how you do things here? Yeah, it's yeah. 1-800 um, sort yeah. of style. And yeah. so I think I had, like, please don't hire me written on my forehead <laughs> yeah. during, during the interviews. And you should be very, so proud of failing that. <laughs> I was very right. conflicted. I was like, if they hire me, I'm going to have to say yes, because I'm so desperate for a job right now. Right. Um, but I came back to Catherine, and by the time she interviewed me, she had... I was so embarrassed. We sat down at the little London plane at the time, and then the big London plane was under construction right. and all taped up. Um, and she had a stack of my resumes. So you had like three by <laughs> then. But <laughs> this girl will not go away. No, but Jenny, um, sometimes there are a lot of distractions, and it takes you a while to hone in on paying attention to the hiring decisions you need to make. But I think early on, I knew. Jenny would be a good fit, and part of that is because I've often had the most success hiring people who are artists. Yes, like and, mi- mi- mentioning uh, Izzy, Izzy, right? right? And Jenny, you know, as long as they care about flowers and they have a tra- training in fine arts, I know they're going to be able to design, mm-hmm. even if they don't walk in the door having no. worked in a shop for 10 years. And in fact, it's better because they can develop the style of their style alongside you, you can influence the direction yeah. their work takes, and they also bring so much to the table in terms of creativity. And for example, right now, um, Francesca, too, we have a sculptor in the other room making arrangements for delivery. She has a she had a show up at the Fry. Wow, that yeah. you know was running through April. Um, Hannah, who's Jenny's right hand in the flower department is a musician. I mean, I it just brings a lot of richness. Mm-hmm. Well, even yourself, and, yeah. even yourself. I mean, Catherine, you mm-hmm. came from landscape architecture. It wasn't like you actually right. took workshops or no. maybe you studied with people, but just not for really. Fun. Yeah, no, very self-taught. And well, you and, and I was designed the London plane essentially. Your yeah, made our designers um, not officially, right. but. Yeah, you, you, anyway. It's the visual arts. It's the visual arts. And I often say during our flow classes that um, I apply the principles I learn in art school every day. I'm often thinking of all of those Mm. elements of design. And um, to me, it felt like flowers was just shifting uh, from paint to, and pencils to flowers. So you really both uh, launched the London Plain Flower Program here together. Absolutely. When the doors opened. Yeah. Well, Brita was. Um, she was right. First. She was managing in the beginning. Oh, but Jenny was here from the beginning. Right, right. The previous manager. Yeah, yeah. Brita for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, that uh, that went along like a well-oiled machine. I think I've participated in meals here with flowers around them. I've taken workshops here. I've brought everyone who comes to Seattle who wants to get together mm-hmm. and talk about slow flowers. I've tried to finagle a lunch meeting here. Um, it's just a really special place. And, and can you talk about maybe the pre-COVID, like what were the main facets of the London sure. Flower Shop and kind of how you integrated into the community? Well, I do feel like pre-COVID, we really felt like we'd hit our stride. Mm-hmm. We have, it is sort of a three-faceted floral business on the floral side. So. It is a shop where you can call for arrangements for delivery or set up a subscription if you're at, you want a subscription at home or you want a subscription for your law office or your coffee shop. So there's that aspect of the business. Actually, it has four pieces. It's also, we also do a, um, a lot of event work behind the scenes. So Jenny, a lot of Jenny's time was spent meeting with brides and writing proposals and coming up with visions for that kind of event work. We're also a flower shop where you can walk in and buy one stem or ask us to make you a bouquet or you can make the bouquet or you can order an arrangement to be made for pickup the next day. So 
you said everything, and we had a class program. Right. Um, and we had really found our groove there. In the beginning, you know, sometimes there'd be five people in the class, but <laughs> just, you know, we had gotten into about two classes a month with up to 24 people. Um, we serve food. It's a really lovely experience for the guests. We were incorporating more and more guest teachers, which made it even more fun for us. And it was also a nice way to build even further the relationship with the growers. For example, we had Danny came up from Rose um, Story Farm and brought a gazillion roses <laughs> for people to play was with. Was that just in January? That was November. Oh, I November. Remember, Very I remember being here. It was winter. Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, God, that was so... So, um, that, those were all the pieces of the floral business. At the same time, our florists, while they're trying to get the job done, <laughs> if the cafe is busy, they do not have to serve tables, but they might have to ring a customer up for a croissant or, you know, ring them up for a candle that we're selling. So Sure, because it's this, like, retail component. Yeah. Um, uh, from from your prepared food counter as yeah. well. Wow. And we don't, you know, it, it wasn't like every sector was always performing at the highest level, but we were always working on um, what's the right mix of revenue. It was, but uh, in the simplest terms, 50% of our revenue was retail sales mm -hmm. and 50% was all the event yeah. class within floral. Yeah. And, and don't you feel that some of this evolved based on customer response when you saw what people were excited about and like wanting more workshops or wanting to, um, I mean, you can only do so many weddings, so mm -hmm. that kind of yeah. probably hit its maximum at some point. Um, but you could ebb and flow with the seasons in that way. Yeah. That's true. Well, I... Um, yeah. I know that Jenny and I worked together on a Q&A for Florist Review that ran in um, about a year ago. And maybe I'll put a link to that in, the, in mm. the show notes for today's episode. But in that, I remember you talking, oh, I, and I speak probably because I put you on the spot about this, Jenny, but I, I asked you to talk about your sourcing philosophy, your, your you know, in-season, out-season. And um, maybe we should just touch on some of that because... Catherine has a flower farm, and that's sort of what started this whole thing, Catherine, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you source from yourself at some scale. Right, and, so, and that what's nice about the farm is that it can flex with the years. There have been years where I was growing 20 different kinds of flowers. Right now, I'm primar primarily just growing peonies, and I only sell them to our own shop. And use them to decorate the shop, and and there are there are the smattering of other things. But um, you said you had four one hundred foot rows. I have six one hundred. Oh my gosh! And I just planted another yeah hundred peonies this past <laughs> fall. So, I mean, as with any grower, you can't help yourself. Yeah, you keep planting even if you don't mean to. Um, <laughs> but that so the heart of the business. Originally and to this day is the idea of locally grown product. Mm -hmm. And there's still some that comes from my farm. But Jenny, why don't you talk about how you source for the shop and yeah, how you manage the winter a little bit? Right. That's, the, that's always the, the big question people have. Yeah, right. Right now um, has been really wonderful because we've been limiting it to purely Washington grub with the occasional box from Rose Story Farm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the shift happened, was it last year? We've always strived to um, source local even as much as we can um, in the winter, just strictly American ground. And last Mother's Day, I, I just decided not to um, purchase from any roses from abroad or product from abroad and just go from Washington growers and California. And that made, and we were so inspired last year. Our delivery guy loaded up his whole van and came back in to tell us that he's never seen such beautiful arrangements. And, and we were enjoying making them even, you know, day, day four when we were burnt out and exhausted to the last arrangement, we felt inspired. So mm -hmm. I felt like, and, and even if they're, they shrink in size a little bit, right? Because you can't, um, the stem price goes up, but we just felt like we're giving much more beauty this mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And you have um, re direct relationships with some growers. You you also have 
relationships with quirky people who forage for you. Mm-hmm. And then, and of course, Catherine's Farm, and then you're able to, you know, bring a lot of business to the Seattle Wholesale Burrs Market. I, might, I understand that. I don't know yeah. what it is, but I, I yeah. sense that weekly there's deliveries happening from them to you. Yeah, yeah, we have a standing Monday, we did, and then um, we try to shop there first and then supplement where we need to. What do you think caused that shift for you? Was it going to that workshop at Rose Story Farm last March where I saw you and I was so happy that you were there? That might have been part of it. I think I just realized that if we don't advocate for better labor practices and less chemicals and whatever else harsh conditions people might be experiencing in South America, for example, if we don't advocate for better practices, um, no one else will. I right. think we're the driving force. I realized, I just realized the responsibility that we have, I think. And we're not doing it perfectly, but um, it's definitely easy right, right now as we speak. And it's the, the struggle, there's always a struggle with cost because we understand all sides of it. I understand what it takes to grow organically. Right. It's, my farm is not profitable. Right. You know, it's, it's more of a, um, a farm that reflects your values yeah. and it's there for that reason. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I do the bulk of the work except with episodic um, pulling in of help mm-hmm. sometimes from our own staff and sometimes I'll hire a, a crew to do three days of work but it's a balance like we, we have to push back honestly sometimes with the growers market because the prices have gone up too high and I totally we understand why they're going up right and so and we also know when our customers just say, I, I can't do it. Yeah. You this know, is so. ridiculous. This 14 tulips and I'm paying this much. <laughs> right. So we always yeah. have, you know, we're, we're a business. We have to have an eye to that. And yet I know one solution is to supplement with very inexpensive other product. Mm-hmm. And we've made the decision not to do right. that, but it's, you know, somewhat to our detriment. Yeah. 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 Well, so Jenny made a little reference to the fact that maybe we said something about maybe the arrangement is slightly smaller uh, and has a little bit more of a maker, you know, kind of artisan type of message than, you know, more isn't always more. And maybe that's the message that you're doing a lot of education and explaining. Yeah. And it's not so much about size and long lasting flowers. Right, just like the meals, you know, right. what, what would you expect from a meal? Yeah. Right, and it, so it it takes time for the customers to know you and for you to know your customers. Yeah. And hopefully at the end of the day, the bulk of your customers are on board with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And you do get those one-off disappointments. Mm-hmm. Right, but it allows you to kind of keep going back to your North, North yeah. Star and, mm-hmm. and so check. checking it off. Yeah. So we're like in week, what, 10 or 12 of yes. the COVID? I know, it's insane. And as I alluded to at the top of the show, that I was afraid the London Plain and every other restaurant in Seattle and every other space I love was gone for good or having to close. Being dictated, you know, to by policymakers, like how did you, how did you navigate that? And <clears throat> give us a little bit of the timeline. Sure. I... Um... I do want to say I don't know what the city will look like in six months. I think there'll be massive number of restaurants that have closed. I don't know. And small um, independent stores. And I don't... There is no way a restaurant can survive a year if it can't get back to full capacity eventually. Right. Because that was the math that you built the business on. And every restaurant builds its business on. You need to be full most days, especially through your second, you know, the second half of your second quarter through your fourth quarter to pay the bills at very, very slim margins. Mm -hmm. And so I think the jury's still out on what's going to happen. Our business is so strange in a way because we are a restaurant sort of first and foremost, Mm -hmm. but we're also a flower shop and we also operate as a bit of a boutique grocery 
and retail shops. So we're having to pay attention to three sets of rules in a way as mm-hmm. we make decisions about how to move forward. But just backing up for a minute, when the, it was May 15th, uh, March 15th, when we, you know, we rushed into, okay, how do we do food delivery to go? We really didn't think about flowers. We totally shut down, well, except to shut down the flower shop. And um, Jenny took a couple weeks at home for health and safety reasons. As we wanted as many people, well, sorry, I think it's a little convoluted. On March 15th, we laid all but two employees off. Okay. We just, just had, had to kind of, yeah, just had to sort of yeah. respond to that. And help them file for unemployment. We made a, we had made like a five-day attempt at delivery, and it was chaotic and a mess and not well thought out. So we stopped that. We laid everyone off. We told Jenny no flowers for a while, or in consultation with yeah. Jenny. Um, clearly that wasn't on the table. We pivoted and for about two weeks delivered 1,600 meals a day to the UW Medical Center workers. And that was an, kind of amazing, beautiful time. Wow. In that 1,600 meals a day? Yeah. When uh, the most we normally do is 250. Wow. And it was... So your kitchen crew was... It was kind of, yeah, and so we had laid everyone off, but then we invited people who wanted to work back, which included some of our kitchen staff and other people, um, to make meals. So it was a really interesting time for me personally, because so many people were talking about how their um, worlds had closed down, and they were only with their families, and I was having this surreal experience of meeting amazing young people who were showing up to help. It Mm -hmm. was Anyway, kind of a beautiful experience for me. So we did that, and then we thought, well, we can't just donate meals. We, had, we ran a GoFundMe campaign to help support that. Um, what, what's our next step as the London plane? And so we decided um, to resurrect uh, our larder program, which is a, usually runs like a CSA season, June to October. October usually has about 20 subscribers. <laughs> Um, where we deliver a weekly bag of produce, bread from our bakery, produce from farms that we love, sort of our chef's pick of the best coming Mm -hmm. out of those farms that week, and then some products from the kitchen, um, be it a bottle of wine creme fraiche, um, maybe some garlic scape butter, um, you know. Provisions. Provisions. Yeah, provisions. So we, we launched that weekly provisions and at the same time launched flowers for delivery same day so one day a week delivery of a bag of food you could subscribe for a week you could buy it as a one-off you could sign up for a four-week subscription same with the flowers right and was that around mid-april was it yeah early april yeah end of march early april okay wow and we thought we would just reopen yeah set up our delivery again and we thought We'd get a few bites. (laughs) Right. And we were scrambling to keep up with the rules coming out. We wanted to protect above and above all else our own worker safety Mm -hmm. and comply with government um, guidelines. But next level, we want, we were worried about the farmers Mm -hmm. and, you know, you can't stop the flowers from coming out of your field. Right. And so if that was going to be deemed an essential business, you know, it's all, getting back to the beginning of our conversation, it's all on a spectrum, agriculture, right? Mm -hmm. You don't eat the flowers, but it turned out they were considered part of the essential service. Yeah, but if those farms are essential and can grow flowers, where's the pipeline to to move them? So I know that a lot of people struggle with that. And the growers market did a great job in getting answers on that and confirming what we thought, which was that flowers could be um, sold. Flower shops couldn't open their doors as a shop where you could shop, but you could deliver, you could accept orders online and via the phone for contactless delivery. Right. And because we were also a restaurant, it seemed like a natural thing to do. You already had the infrastructure to do deliveries. Right. But wow. we, our delivery guy has not come back. He's taking care of himself at home. But um, I know that different floors have different feelings. Different restaurant owners have different feelings. And yeah. there's, there's definitely good. tension in the air about what's the right thing to do, people criticizing what other people are doing. And, you know... In general, I do wish 
every everyone in the world right now could be a little more forgiving yeah. in that everyone is doing the, well, I believe most people are doing the best they can for themselves and their families and for their businesses and to protect. It, it's not a left, a, a Democratic Republican thing. It's not Democrats believe in public health and Republicans believe in the economy. I am a Democrat, but I want to protect the economy too, yeah. but not at the expense of public health. Right. And it's so such we, a nuance. It's so nuanced. Yeah. And there's so many strident voices right now. So we are doing what we can. Um, safely. To, safely. Yeah. Um, and not trying to push the envelope. We are, I, I guess quickly, because I know we don't have all the time in the world, we've been um, re- really pleasantly sub- surprised by the number of people who want both of those things. Flowers for delivery and flowers um, weekly and as a subscription and also a bag of food. And so looking forward, we are going to open basically as an essential grocery starting next week. Oh, my goodness. And this will be, it's not in phase two regulations. It's all within the framework of phase one. So you just, you have to just get all that permission, mm-hmm. all those T's crossed and I's yeah. dotted that the city's going to let you do that, or the state's yeah. going to let you do that. Yeah. Yeah. And we, um, just like a grocery store, there will be flowers for sale. Mm. They, it will be. It won't be the same experience of customers being able to touch all the flowers, but we can put something together for them, and they can leave with the shopping that they've done. They can also continue to do contactless delivery orders. We'll also they'll also be able to shop online for groceries and just do a pickup. Um, and like the six, the markers on the floor for six yeah. feet and all of yeah. that and people waiting outdoors and masks to enter. And, wow. yeah so right I'm actually spending a lot of this week both trying to get all these products up on the website so people can shop online for pickup mm-hmm. so they can minimize they can take the time in the store yeah like yeah. They, it'll be prepaid they just have to grab their bag and go um, with also trying to digest all the rules and as I said for essential groceries, essential restaurants, but also there's the layer of retail and floral. Right. Um, wow. Oh, and Catherine. I'm trying to communicate all that. <laughs> oh my goodness. You, <laughs> you know, are and, back to what you said yeah. about everyone you in your world is like home and nestled in with their families and you're juggling a lot of balls. I mean, right. just, just to, just to keep the, the doors open. And we try to, I try to have as many check-ins with Jenny and other people like does this feel right? Are we doing the right thing? Mm. Are we getting ahead of ourselves? Mm-hmm. We didn't want to push into planning for phase two because for one, it doesn't scream hospitality to us to serve 25% of our restaurant with masks and paper menus. Mm-hmm. We right. would rather a few people be able to have a lovely shopping experience that feels very safe for them and safe for the customers we have very high ceilings. We have a lot of doors we can open, yeah. so there's maximum airflow. Um, and there is a sense of wanting to... We do not want to push at all reopening the city, but we also don't want to lose our neighborhoods. All the love that's been put into this neighborhood over the past right. seven years. Right. And, yeah. I we, think that's really generous of you to share your thought process and and I think just your struggle and, and mm-hmm. I I'm I'm so encouraged that it, well this is kind of back to that stories of resilience like you you worked this knot for a long time and you you slowly untangled the parts that you could you know brush out and and, and make happen I don't know it's a bad analogy but no. like like you're not you can't be a hundred percent and you can't be at capacity for now right. that's your goal right but this is an interim And step. how do we talk about this a lot? How do we be true to what is at the core of the London plane for us, right? right? Providing beauty and nourishment and love to both our community right here, which we have been doing through donating meals to the nearby missions and shelters, um, to, to making the neighborhood feel safe right around us, to making our making sure Jenny and all the people working here feel safe. And um, and all the vendors that you're supporting right. with your dollars. Right. The, yes. the farmers and the makers and the wineries and all that. Right. And we're just, we are um, working really hard 
and we're doing the best that we can, right? Let's and there may be days we don't do it perfectly. One last thought. Yeah. It's kind of funny because we're going back to what we originally set mm-hmm. out to do and do more of a marketplace shopping experience. And the, the cafe definitely took off and um, mm-hmm. ran the race. But this is kind of going back to, yeah, the larder that we've always wanted to share with people. Now we have 100 subscribers for that yeah. each week. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So you do have somebody doing delivery for you. We're doing it. No, we show up in 10 different vehicles on Friday. Oh, and we... We're a little fleet. Yeah, we're fleet. <laughs> Individual employees. And yes, myself included. Our general manager included. I yeah. mean, yeah. we have routes and now we know the people in a lot of these houses. I mean, we wave to them through their windows. It's like and you're the frontline delivery crew. Wow. Yeah, and we, you know, some people, it's like, why don't you use, there's, yeah. it's a technological not to. Yeah. Because we are selling flowers, we're selling food, we're selling retail. So the systems that have been set up for restaurant meal delivery and the platforms don't work for us on the floral side. You this, really have to customize it. We're having to yeah. customize it. It's not perfect. Yeah. Yes. Very grassroots. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought the, up the, the original vision because I there is that kind of mercantile feeling mm-hmm. as of getting something for your table or for your home that, mm-hmm. that is integrated into your uh, aesthetic. But, mm-hmm. oh, that ebbs and flows, in and, and it seems like your your retail offerings were a little bit limited in the last mm-hmm. year or so, but mainly because the restaurant was demanding right. all your attention. So now you're kind of able so to bring shift it on. in focus. Yeah. Right? It's like sometimes your wedding business in your floral shop is what's driving everything, everything, yeah. and sometimes it's the retail sales. Well, this is an opportunity to, to refocus that. To ro- yeah. refocus that, and we're able to get things like flour milled in the Skagit that is not on retail shelves right now. We can buy it in 50-pound bags and repackage it for the customer when there's not enough flour on the grocery shelves right now. And they wouldn't have access to that. And they wouldn't have access to it unless they wanted to drive up there and buy a 50-pound bag. Wow, that's wonderful. um, So um, I did want to ask about Mother's Day because I I think that was – a big surprise for you and I think that it will people will relate to that and then maybe we can also just um, talk about workshops because I know that's mm. something that is still happening in a new way mm-hmm. but you said Jenny you said Mother's Day just blew you away yeah it was I think it was over triple our usual amount of orders um, and I think everyone was just really craving beauty at home and and then there's a lot of people who can't see their moms right now. So mm-hmm. this was, they had to wrap up a huge hug and a thank you in, mm-hmm. in, in a gesture. flowers. Mm-hmm. And so the orders were, yeah, pouring in. We had to Tell about the note to Cindy's mom. Oh, yeah. Um, one, one gal ordered from the whole family, right? I, it was like, it, there's, I... I can tell it quickly. I have a friend whose mother has pancreatic cancer, and she's going through all of this kind of on her own right now. Sure. And she has one daughter, but there is a world of middle-aged people who love this woman. Yeah. And so they sent her, her daughter arranged for an arrangement to go to her, but it was signed by about 30 people. Yeah. Oh. And she was just, it was that sort that of love, love yeah. that she needed to or in her front door right now. And she read it and was just bawling, right? Yeah, <laughs> and it's just... But that really sounds terrible. like a really specialized arrangement. Were you trying to keep it standardized to manage it? Or? Oh, no, every arrangement was totally unique. Oh, and okay, so it wasn't like an e-commerce site where you pick small, no. medium, or large. You well, really... It well, is small, medium, or large, but they don't look like the picture. And it's uh, seasonal pick. It's designer's choice. Yeah. So it allows us a lot of freedom, and then in turn you get really inspired arrangements and each one we're going and we're letting the flowers guide us and, and coming up with new palettes each arrangement. I mean that's kind of been the aesthetic and the London mm-hmm. plane philosophy all along. Mm-hmm. But now maybe the customer is on board with that. Yeah. And we yeah. historically I would admit we are not a shop that does the kind of Mother's Day and Valentine business that other shops do, and we've right. never quite understood why. Mm-hmm. We don't do hundreds of arrangements, mm-hmm. and sometimes we have 
um, freelancers come in and they say, oh, when I worked at such and such shop, we sent out. Crank, cranked out the machine. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, how, how come we don't get those kinds of numbers? But it, we are who we are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, um, but it this, took a pandemic for people to right. see you as their neighborhood flower shop who could do yeah. the everyday fulfillment, not just the wedding. And something. I think what you alluded to, or we talked about before we started recording, is what we don't know, what every restaurant doesn't know, what every florist working right now doesn't know is... Is this a blip? Mm-hmm. What does it mean? I, as the owner of the business, it's really hard to do projections, financial projections right now. Oh my I have gosh. No, we have no idea if the subscription, if people will burn out on the cost of a floral subscription. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we did have our first business come back to restart their subscription yeah, today. This morning. This That's morning. great. Because I have Because we lost all of those. Yeah, all that corporate work. All the corporate work. I heard that from another floor. And every event shop. canceled. Every single including Jenny's wedding. <laughs> oh well I had I had asked Jenny in advance if we could talk about her wedding. And so maybe we should just yeah, talk about this and then we'll end on workshops. Okay. So Jenny, tell us the story of your sweetheart and where he is and where your wedding, what happened with your wedding, which was going to be May May 16th here here at Blenheim Plain. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we were going to fill the place with 90 of our closest friends and family, most, a lot of them flying in. Um, May, I chose because I just love this time of year. It's just breathtaking as far as peonies and Mm -hmm. all the first flush of... um, springtime flowers coming out early summer so it was definitely a flower driven wedding kind of visually yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's usually nice in May yeah. otherwise sometimes more than June mm-hmm. um, and I, so I said Mother's Day would be my last day here um, because she's moving to Canada because my fiance is Canadian um, he's a woodworker named Tim and um, hi Tim you're hearing this <laughs> and uh yeah, we, I was going to move up there, and I'm, I'm still planning to, um, and I'm going to begin a floral design business up there, hopefully. Um, but as we know, the U.S.-Canadian border shut um, right around mid-March, and so that was when I last saw Tim in person. Um, for it, That went on for about 60 days. We didn't get to see each other. Um, until a cross-border picnic um, mm-hmm. or across the, the ditch up in yeah. Linden, Washington, where you could be 10 feet across, but you couldn't, nothing, absolutely nothing could pass. There were cameras everywhere, the Border Patrol driving by every It just makes me think of like a prison visit. <laughs> it's like the Berlin Wall. Oh, yeah. You know? Wait, yeah. so this is before the day of your wedding, you had gone up and seen him in Linden. Yeah. And it kind well, of... Just across the border. One, him in Canada, her in the U.S. And like... Did you talk on the phone because it was easier to hear each other? We could hear each other. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, it was quiet countryside, yeah. farmland. But um, still. We each brought camping chairs. Oh. <laughs> had a picnic. But what a <laughs> chair. But by then you canceled the wedding. But yes, yeah, so we had to postpone the wedding, uh, um, of course. And then we just want to elope at this point, but that is not possible. Because um, you're still prevented from entering Canada and he's so, prevented from yeah, entering the U.S. Family family being reunited is not considered essential right now. It's just um, commerce going back and forth. Right. Um, but the day before, or the week before our original wedding date, they reopened the Peace Arch Park and there it, it's international so Americans and Canadians can come there and it's between the two border crossings and you can picnic freely. So yes. it was the first time I was able to hug him. Oh, on their wedding, the day before their wedding yeah, day. it was like a little wedding gift. Would, would be wedding gift. So the, the London Plain family came together to support you in that. And, oh, And yeah. you had a bouquet? Yeah, I was getting the weekly send-outs ready to go and Yasu and Hana and mm-hmm. Catherine had all gotten flowers and a cake together. Our baker had made a special cake and Danny sent up donated roses. She sent from the, from Roastery Farm. Yes. I saw that. Yeah. Oh my god. Most fragrant, beautiful roses. You even had some at your picnic, which yeah. they were turned out to were her favorite ones. Yeah. So, um oh, well, felt so supportive. And and just the fact that you guys are keeping me here until until, until I know because I have no idea go. when I can go up there just um, kind of on standby and trying to be present and finish strong and 
It's been a really great finish too, I think. Yeah, it's been inspired an inspiring time for us as weird and strange. Mm-hmm. Um, you really have a family and a community yeah. around this business. Yeah, I feel like we've really, in some ways we may be faring better than mm-hmm. all those people at home where all they can do is go for a walk. I, I'm, I'm so sad that your wedding you know, vision changed, but maybe it, in the end, it'll be a story you tell your grandchildren, oh, Jenny. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it'll they'll be it'll be there have been beautiful moments. There's more beauty to come for sure, yeah. and the, the celebration will happen just maybe yeah. a, a year from now or mm-hmm. two years differently. <laughs> I think that there's always a place at the London Plain uh, if you and Tim decide to come back to the U.S. But I think it, yeah. it'll be really a fun adventure to live in Vancouver. I mean, uh, yeah, it's yeah, a great I'm city. Forward to it, I really am looking forward to. it being in Canada too. <laughs> yeah. Well, so uh, that's sad because Catherine has to make some plans um, post Jenny. Yeah, I'm in massive denial. Although <laughs> Hannah, who works, um, is as I said, Jenny's right hand is going to step up and fill her shoes. So. Mm-hmm. And, and she's been part of your team for a number of seasons. Three or right? four years. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, that, you know, the workshops really had kind of become this regular thing and I know I've heard from many friends who come who don't consider themselves flower florists flower people Mm -hmm. but the environment at the London Plain makes it sort of accessible for them because they're diners they're patrons anyway and so that seems to be a pleasant way to engage with flowers and yeah we had right as things were shutting down we had classes on the books and we were like do we can we do it? Do we keep it? If we remember, we were sort of confused about right. the rules were unclear. Should we cancel the class? We had customers saying they wanted to come, didn't want to come. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we canceled them. And now, just as florists, ourselves included, are having to find our way about what happens to the event business, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for the next year or so, or um, what what becomes of our flower program, class program. And I know someday we'll be back at. 20 people in there having a wonderful class experience. Um, Jenny had a a vision to do um, right now an online class experience that um, dovetailed with the delivery we were doing. Mm. So it was um, you could sign up to receive a bucket of flowers delivered to you and then you would on a Friday and then if you had purchased that you would get an email link sent to you of a video of Jenny teaching the class. Mm-hmm. So we did that. Um, and That's people cool. really loved it. Have you yeah. done it a couple times or? No. Three now. Handful, the first class and then Catherine did one in uh, collaboration with Path with Art, a nonprofit and three. We've, and well, didn't you do it twice? Two. I thought you did two um, send outs. Or maybe yeah. well, yours was the second. Oh, okay. So, so we've done that twice, uh-huh. and then I think those videos will live on our Instagram. Yeah, we'll probably put them on our IG. Yeah, yeah. TV because yeah. people were purchasing just the flowers themselves. Yeah. Um, so in the future, that'll just be a fun way to promote yeah. future workshops. But then we're also trying to think as the city and the state moves through new phases and numbers of people gathering. What could we do for our customers that would um, be fulfilling to them. And one thought is to get a, you know small groups of people out to our farm. Um, and maybe it's not even to take a class. Just Maybe yeah. it's to spend an hour in the peonies harvesting them. And then we'll have provided a lunch from the London Plain and a group of four can sit down at a picnic table in the apple orchard and have some mm. lunch. So this idea of getting people out to the farm and you have five people in 100 acres mm-hmm. sounds pretty nice. So we might be launching that even just for a week from now. Yeah. Um, Catherine, uh, remind people, remind me where it is. Is it in... It's in um, the Snoqualmie Valley okay. between Carnation and Duval. So kind of east of Seattle. Yeah, you go east on 520 until it dead ends and up and over Redmond Ridge. And even when you get over that ridge, the entire valley opens up in front of you. And it feels so spacious and beautiful. And it's my Marigold and Mint Farm is within 
my family's larger Oxbow Farm and Conservation Center. Right. Which is that's right. It's okay. So, so, the, so experience, yeah. the experience is probably just being there. It doesn't matter what you do. Space and fresh air. Yeah, and, and getting to interact with some flowers. But we may wait a little on the actual teaching. Yeah. Um, so we'll... Um, the online videos. Yeah, and we'll share the website link to the London Plate. Right. And anybody listening to this uh, in early June can check and see if anything's happening. Yep. Because... Yeah. You're working in real time right now. Yeah, <laughs> like you <every> said, <laughs> the yeah. forecasting is a little bit hard. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you guys, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much, ladies, for, for coming. Oh, right. what a treat, and and so generously sharing what you're doing. It's it's more than inspiring, and and I, I appreciate your honesty, Catherine, about mm. the fact that we don't know very far into the future right. and. So there'll be another chapter after this one, I'm sure. Yep. And we're all making the best decisions we can. Yeah. And I would just, we should all have sort of patience with each other mm-hmm. and for the experience of yeah. what everyone is going through yeah. right now. Yeah. It's the human, it's the human need to um, feel okay all the time that we sometimes have to just be willing to live with discomfort and right it's a very, yeah there's a lot of discomfort right now and so much uncertainty and we're and and we all have learned the lesson tenfold that we cannot control our everything our plans and travel um right and whatever we can do to just make life a little bit better right now is, I think, where our hearts are. Yeah. And we, I don't know, I'm really grateful for you reaching out to us, Deborah. Oh, it was meant to be. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thanks. Jenny, thank you. And when Jenny has a new business in uh, Canada, she'll be sure to share. Slow Flowers Canada. Yeah. (laughs) Let everyone know. I have to say, I mean, the last, I was with Jenny the last day she saw Tim on March 15th yeah, at the yeah. Trend Summit. And it, he was he came to the little reception mm-hmm. with the food truck and he was I so adorable. Yeah. He was a good sport. Yeah. So <laughs> I can only really wait to get back together. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I wish you the best. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for joining today's conversation. It has been a tough week for my family and me personally, as we lost my father, Fred William Prinzing Jr., to complications from pneumonia. In addition, we are watching our cities in crisis as brothers and sisters struggle for justice during what feels like endless and senseless acts of violence and worse, murder against people of color. Along with many friends and colleagues in the Slow Flowers community and the larger horticulture and floriculture community, I feel like I need to do more than just speak out. I need to act. I've decided to donate all of the Slow Flowers revenue for the month of May to one or more social justice organizations literally working on the front lines. I challenge you to do the same, and I will share a list of suggested organizations in today's show notes. Let's do some justice work with our flowers. We care about stories of resilience here on the podcast and in the larger Slow Flowers community. I thank you for listening, and I encourage you to make a human gesture of support for the marginalized and disenfranchised in your community. Last Friday, we held our final weekly Slow Flowers member virtual meetup, our 10th consecutive online gathering of florist growers, farmer florists, and supporters, launched in late March. The virtual meetups will now continue as a regular monthly event on the second Friday of each month. So our next gathering is scheduled for Friday, June 12th, same time, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, and the same location, which you can join me via a Zoom link. I'll keep you posted through other regular channels, but you can always find the details in the link.tree menu that appears in our Instagram profile at myslowflowers. If you missed last week's Slow Flowers member virtual meetup, you can find the link to the replay video in today's show notes. I want to thank our special guest, Lisa Wad of Lisa Wad Botanical Artist, a core member of the Slow Flowers team and Amanda Mauerman of Gnome Grown Flower Farm and the Michigan Flower Growers Cooperative for sharing about Lisa's new project to bring botanical art to Detroit while also supporting local flower growers in her state. That project is called Big Flower Friend, and Slow Flowers is a sponsor of one of the upcoming floral installations, so you'll hear more about this soon. 
More sponsor thank yous go to Farmers Web. Farmers Web software makes it simple for flower farms to streamline working with their buyers by lessening the administrative load and increasing efficiency. Farmers Web helps your farm save time, reduce errors, and work with more buyers overall. Learn more at farmersweb.com. And a final thank you to the Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and farmer florists. Online education is more important this year than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 610,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at Sound bodymovement.com